And continuing verse 10 through 20. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing, bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then a reading from Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning at verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them, so blessed are those servants. But know this, if the owner of the house had come at what hour the, had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Here ends the reading from God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to come around your word. We pray that your spirit would be poured out in this place, that our, our reading and our hearing and our praying and our praising and our worshiping of you may come from a place of authenticity, that it may come from a real and deep place down within us. And that where it might be found lacking, you would carve out a space 
deep enough to hold praise worthy of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Really, sometimes the lectionary is frightening. The lectionary is that three-year cycle of a calendar, and it gives you a uh, four-scripture gathering for each week, a, a, an Old Testament lesson, a psalm, a New Testament lesson, and then an epistle lesson, and there's this three-year cycle, year A, year B, year C. It moves around and through the Gospels. It, it is meant to move through all of Scripture so that, you know, in case you wondered if I was just up here making it up, uh, most of the time I'm not. They give you the, 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 there's this thing that gives you things to preach from. And sometimes you read that week's scriptures and you think, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And sometimes it's so close to a current event that it's like it's handpicked. This is not handpicked. I did not handpick these texts. They were in the lectionary. I read the scripture, especially the one that comes from the prophet Isaiah, who is essentially saying to us what God thinks we can do with our thoughts and prayers. Especially in the wake of tragedies that are frequently the fruit of our fascination with violence and our tolerance of intolerance. When God's people are hurting, prophet says when God's people are targeted, where God's children are not sure if their parents will pick them up from the bus stop or if ICE will have gotten to them first, when we live in a culture where you're, if you're in a large gathering in a Walmart, in a movie theater, in a church, in a Target, you never know if it could be your last, God does not seem to want our songs or our prayers or our lit candles. That's what Isaiah said, not me. What is it that we do when we worship? I was listening to a podcast, which if anybody's known me for longer than 10 minutes, it's not surprised to know that I was listening to a podcast. It's what I do, my free time, um, which I won't have much more of here soon. But I was listening this week to This American Life, and the host is Ira Glass. You might have heard it on NPR, those of you are NPR listeners. And he was talking about the fundamental commandments of his Jewish faith. And, and really, it's the fundamental commandments of our Christian faith, which, you know, when Jesus is asked, well, what, would, what is the most important commandment? What's the most important part of the law? And Jesus says, well, the heart of all the law and the prophets is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to boil it all down, here it is. And Hourglass was saying that he's, the second one he understands. He said, I understand why it's important for me to do right by my neighbor. I understand why God wants me to do right by my neighbor. But why is it important for me to love God? He said, if I, if I love my neighbor, if I do all the things that God has asked me to do, if my life looks like the kind of life that God wants me to live, then why does God care if I love God or not? Is God that vain? Does God need my praise? Which sort of stopped me for a second. And he got this answer. He said he got an answer that helped him from a Christian minister, if I remember calling right. And this minister told him, he said, you know, I think of God, that God is all those things. That, that those things are the nature and character of God. That is, the commandment to do justice, that is God. The, can't, the commandment to care for the vulnerable, that is God. 
to feed the hungry, to visit the prisoner. God is that life. God is the essence of those things. I have a little higher, I think, spirituality than, than the person who told him that. But I think in light of the text from Isaiah, it brings something to light, which is, can you worship God? Can you believe in God? Can you love God? Can you praise God? while neglecting all the things that grieve the heart of God. Because if you're singing to, and you're praying to, and you're preaching about, and you're worshiping God, but a fire for God's justice is not also burning in your belly, then who is the God that you are singing to and praying about? Isaiah seems unclear about how you can hold those two things together. And what the text here reveals and what it reveals in other places is that God's ear is particularly attuned. God hears, is tuned into the frequency of the voices of the oppressed and the marginalized. And that the rest, if you think about the cacophony of voices that are praying and praising and offering their things to God in this place, that God is tuned in filters in all of the cries of the oppressed and the hurting and the marginalized. And any of that stuff that's not amplifying those voices is background noise. Just, just the din of stuff that we have to tune out. And Isaiah says, actually, that God finds the sound displeasing. I don't like hearing it. God says through Isaiah, it's like nails on a chalkboard to hear you praying and praising me while you ignore the ones who are crying for help. And so, like I said with the kids this morning, there's a lot of reasons why we're called, why we come here to worship. I, you know, it's sometimes we do it out of just routine habit. It's what we do on Sundays. We show up and this is, these are the clothes we wear and this is the route we drive and I'm just on autopilot. But when we come here, we are reminded of the source of our life. Where we tell the story of redemption, of how God is working to redeem God's people. And we're reminded of God's grace. And we come to this place to offer our hearts and our minds. And we focus our attention for an hour or so. Some of us just in increments of two or three minutes. But we focus our attention... to demonstrate that we have understood, we, we, we have understood in some small way that God loves us deeply. And that the depth of that, the evidence of that love is all around us. And we come because we wish to say thank you. That's what praise is. We, we praise and we acknowledge, we thank you, God, for giving, for grafting us into this story, for giving us the life that we have, for giving us the opportunity to love and share with one another. We're acknowledging those things. We're surrendering ourselves. We also come to give ourselves over to God's purpose. We give our money. We give that little bit of attention. We commit ourselves to what we accomplish together as a community because we come to the end and we name out loud all the stuff that we're going to do that's not in this hour and all the stuff that's going to take place that's not limited to these walls. We commit ourselves to our life together. And so our worship is an offering to God. We give it over to God, but God does not need it. And it does not win God's favor. It doesn't make God love us anymore. 
doesn't earn us God's love and acceptance because you can't earn God's grace and acceptance. Our worship is an acknowledgement of who God is and what God calls us to be. And to that end, it's our worship that changes us. It's our worship that transforms us. It shapes us into the image of the one we worship. You are what you worship. So thoughts and prayers have their place. But if thoughts and prayers are the things that, the kind of thoughts and prayers that reorient your life, if they're the kind of thoughts and prayers and meditating on God and being in communication with God that brings about transformation in your heart and in your mind, if they're the kinds of thoughts and prayers that are not just offered up and sent and then forgotten, And see, this is why worship is sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it steps on your toes. Sometimes it is, does not exactly look like what you would like it to look like or sound like how you would like it to sound. The sermon does not always say what you would like to hear. The scripture does not always meet you exactly where you are. Now, sometimes that's true. Sometimes it affirms you right where you are. Sometimes you come and it's a word of acceptance and affirmation that God loves you just as you are. But sometimes worship is also the good news that God loves you enough not to leave you as you are. Because if worship was just about affirming you as you are, you would be worshiping something, but it would not be God. So if you are what you worship, what would an audit of our lives and our life together say about which altars we bow at? The bargain? The border? The flag, the firearm, security, prosperity. What do you call worship when our lives are oriented toward objects of worship that are not God? Again, you take it up with Isaiah. The mouth of the prophet says, through the mouth of the prophet, God says to the people, you're going through the emotions of praising me and going through and checking the boxes of what it means to belong to me, but the reality of the world that you live in indicates that you are worshiping at some other altars too. This morning at our 9 o'clock service, Rebecca sang the song that she'd been wanting to sing, and I hadn't let her sing it. Because it hurts my feelings. And the song's called, I Hate All Your Praise. I hate your shows. And it's, it's paraphrase of this exact scripture you've got blood on your hands I don't want to you know it's, it's and it just hurts my feelings and she sang it this morning and I think it brings the, the chorus I think brings to life what we take away because this is not a politically partisan invitation. This is not a chance for us to look across the aisle at the people who just won't pass the legislation that we're sure will solve everything. Or to look at people on a different place in the theological spectrum and we think, well, it's their worship that God finds noisy, not mine. God likes my prayers. God likes my singing. God likes when I show up. It's their stuff that's, that's wrong. It's because they are always the hypocrites, right? But injustice never puts down roots without widespread complicity. Injustice needs a lot of people 
to not do enough for it to really settle in. And I reckon that we're all somewhat responsible for the illusion, for buying into the illusion that faith in God is a private matter. And that worship on Sundays is only about something that happens in your heart and in your mind because our faith is a bodily faith. It's lived out in the, in the hands, in the feet, in the body of Jesus. It's what we believe in, incarnation. That God, the Word became flesh and lived among us. And our faith, so our faith is primarily born out, not in our private life, in our internal life, but in the way we live and live together. And so we worship God with our songs and our prayers, but also with the values that we hold. That's one way we worship God. We worship God with the movements that we build and support. We worship God with the work we do. We worship God with the people that we stand for and stand with. We worship God with what we will tolerate and what we won't tolerate. Because we don't tolerate just anything. We worship God with the way we move from inaction to action. That's an act of worship. And so the song, the, the chorus, the verses hurt my feelings, but the chorus helps me. It says, instead, let there be a flood of justice. An endless procession. Not one hour on Sunday morning, endless is important, of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice. What better acknowledgement of who God is? What better way to worship God than to be part of an endless procession of righteous living? So in Luke, uh, in the gospel passage that I read, Jesus calls the disciples to a certain kind of vigilance. Tells him, be ready, in essence. There's an urgency in the second part of what he says. But in the first part of what he says, the things that you do to get ready, he says, sell your possessions. Give alms, which is, in other words, give offerings to the poor. Make purses that last. And that's not like a nice purse. It means invest in stuff that means something. Invest your time, your energy, your money, your faith, your hope, and stuff that lasts, that has meaning, the stuff that's in line with God's greater purpose, which is the flourishing of all living things. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, that's the, the altar where you will worship. And one of the ways that Jesus saves us is by showing us what a life that is oriented around the worship of God looks like. Can you remember how many times we have accounts in the Gospels of Jesus being in the temple? I counted three when I was thinking about this. One, when his parents dragged him there and they had blessed him, you know, in the temple. The second one was when he stood up to preach the, his first sermon and he, he unrolled the scroll from where? Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all the people said, we don't like that kind of worship. You got to go. And the third time that I thought of was when he overturned the tables of the money changers. Because of how they had obscured the presence of God for those who could not afford the temple sacrifice. Three times in the temple. So where is it that Jesus' worship takes place? The rest of his worship takes place in living rooms. And down at Pilate's house. 
and on the side of the road and around dining room tables. Sometimes people will ask you, where do you worship? You tell them where you go on Sundays, right? Well, my car takes me to Covenant Christian Church. And I thank God that God brings all each and every one of them that you can answer that question with Covenant Christian Church. But that's just for today. Yeah. Where are you going to worship tomorrow? Tomorrow.